And uh, hopefully inside your service sheets, uh, on the back of the songs during communion sheet, you'll see an outline uh, of uh, our passage tonight, Luke 22, 7 to 23, which is worth opening as well. It's page uh, 1057 of the Church Bibles, 1057. Gareth mentioned it before, and I I feel that uh, quite often uh, as I start sermons I'm talking about them, but uh, let me begin by asking you about meals uh, your most memorable meals. What, what makes them memorable? What makes a meal unforgettable, that it, it's burnt in your memory? What are the ingredients for that sort of meal? Well, for me, there, there are a number of key ingredients to, to take a meal from the, the average, the day-to-day, the forgettable meals that we have all the time uh, to the ones that are long held in the memory. There are four key ingredients, I think. Firstly, uh, there's what leads up to the meal. The context is important, isn't it? Uh, the events or the, the activities that lead up to the meal, they're important. And then there's the occasion of the meal itself. What, why are we having this meal? What are we celebrating? What's brought us together to have this meal? And then there's, of course, who is there. That's important. Uh, who's sharing the meal with you? That's often what we remember. And finally, of course, there is what you eat at the meal that burns long in your memory. And I reckon together, when these things are all there, they combine to make a meal unforgettable. Now let me give you an example of one such meal that I've had uh, in recent times, a meal I had at Grindleford Cafe uh, last Saturday, my first experience of their fine fare. Uh, let, me, let me just explain uh, why it is such a memorable meal, and it, are, it is, again, these four ingredients. Uh, first, there is uh, what led up to the meal, which was uh, a long, very long walk uh, in the cold, in the wet, a very tiring walk. Let me, let me suggest uh, uh, just a tip uh, for you. If... If Jim Crossley ever suggests to you, let's go for a a casual ramble on a Saturday morning, uh, think very carefully uh, before you say yes. Uh, Grindleford uh, to forward and back is is quite a nice walk. Uh, Grindleford uh, via virtually everywhere in Sheffield and Derbyshire is uh, is a bit longer. 16 miles, I think it was. I'm still feeling it. But that's what led up to to this meal, that that sort of walk. And second, uh, there was the occasion. It was Jim's birthday. And it is always fun, isn't it, to share a meal with a friend on an occasion like that, especially when the friend is so obviously eager to enjoy their party. Uh, I have a five-year-old uh, who enjoys parties, but I, I reckon Jim uh, would give him a run for his money. Uh, he loves parties. It's great. That was the occasion. And then there was who was there. The birthday boy, of course, he was there. The focal point of the celebration, although I think he bought the meal. And then some of his friends uh, who were just as eager to celebrate the meal mainly because uh, his uh, enthusiasm uh, rubs off. So there's what leads up to it, there's the occasion, there was who was there and then what tipped it all off, the meal itself, full English. Those those words together are magical, aren't they? Full English. They don't have a full Australian, we don't even bother trying. We just call it the same thing. And I, I doubt they will be handing out Michelin stars uh, to the chef at Grindleford any time soon, but I have never had a finer meal. Uh, as as this, uh, we're sitting at the table, tired, hungry, cold, uh, the biggest plate I've ever seen in my entire life comes out the door carrying the meal. Uh, firstly, we started with a fried egg and uh, David Todd, the uh, previous student worker, was there with us and he was particularly excited about the fried eggs. In fact, every different egg that came past his eyes, he would examine the yolk. Yolk perfection, he called it. Then there was the bread, there's, there's the buttered bread and just in case you don't have enough bread, they throw in some fried bread as well. 
There's the beans, tomato, sausage, mushroom and a pint of tea to wash it all down. An um, unforgettable meal. I've hardly eaten uh, in the week <laughs> following. It's wonderful and unforgettable because what led up to it, because of the occasion, because of who was there and because of the food leaving you completely satisfied. Incidentally, the meal was followed by an equally satisfying meal that night, hot pork sandwiches with stuffing, crackling and applesauce. I really do hope you ate before coming to church tonight. (laughs) There's always spud bar, of course. But tonight what we're going to do is we are going to share a meal together and I promise you it will be unforgettable. It will leave you completely satisfied. It's the meal that Luke 22 speaks of, a meal that Jesus himself says in verse 19 of that chapter, we cannot forget. And so let's turn to the meal together and we're going to look at verses 7 to 20 especially. And what makes this meal memorable is in fact the same things that made that meal at Grindleford Cafe memorable. We start with what leads up to the meal and you see that in the passage that we really looked at last week, verses 1 to 7. And we're told in verse 1 that the Passover, this meal, this celebration is coming soon and as it approaches there's been much preparation. On one hand the meal has been preceded by the preparations that we saw last week, preparations of a world eager to get rid of God. Remember that in verse 2 as the authorities who feared losing power, uh, feared the idea of someone else being in control, were desperate to get rid of Jesus We saw last week it is a plan uh, we see all throughout our world, wanting all the gifts that our God gives us but nothing of the giver. I'm in charge. It's a plan even uh, within the Christian community we can see with our stubborn refusal to allow God authority in different areas of our lives that I'm still in charge here. Whether it be our work life, our relationships, our finances, our pride, whatever it might be. And then there were the preparations that that Satan himself was making. Verse 3, Satan who we saw hates all that is good and of God in our world and desperate to destroy those things, desperate to blind people to how good and valuable Jesus really is. And we saw the outcome of that with Judas, the third player in these preparations in verses 4 to 6, who was so blind to Jesus' goodness he was willing to trade him in for a few coins trade him in for a cheaper prize. And again we saw last week that is a trade that we all make. Romans 1 says we have traded in the living God for idols. Idols that we uh, try to fill the void left when God is removed from our lives. And so as the meal gets closer we see what is leading up to it. On one hand uh, is our preparations, our sin this constant desire to get rid of God. And the tragedy is, verse 5, do you see there, our world delights in such plans. How good are these plans? But as the meal approaches, we see something else in the background. Have a look at verse 22. We saw this last week. We see that these preparations, no matter how delighted our world is with them, they are actually futile and deadly. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. Two shocks come upon us, come upon all humanity really. Firstly, uh, as as much as uh, the authorities and Judas and Satan feel in control of this moment, they're actually not in control at all. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, not by Judas, not by the authorities, not by Satan, but by God himself. God is in charge of this moment. 
And secondly, the delight they enjoy in verse 5 will be short-lived. Woe to him who betrays the Son of Man. That's what leads up to this meal. We see who we actually are, God's enemies, on a path to meet him as judge. This does not end well. As we saw last week, any hope beyond this depends on, not on our preparations. They don't lead anywhere good. Our hope depends on someone coming along prepared to separate us out from God's enemies, prepared to take the consequences of our betrayal of God far away from us. Our hope in the end depends on the one we've betrayed forgiving us. Now I reckon in a world like ours that is almost a vain hope, isn't it? A long shot to be forgiven by the one you betray. John Terry has been in the news a fair bit of late for his own betrayal, his own unfaithfulness to his wife and also to one of his close friends in his team or his, an ex-teammate, Wayne Bridge. In the end, he was told, the newspaper article has said this about him, it said his future depended on the forgiveness of his friend. Everything hung on that. In the days and weeks that have followed, we've seen that that forgiveness has not come. Our world does not know forgiveness like that. Not prepared to do it. But here's the wonder of the gospel. As this meal comes close, uh, we see our God preparing to do the very thing we desperately need him to do. Preparing to forgive betrayers. And thank God his plan and not ours wins. As this meal comes close, it becomes abundantly clear that he is utterly in control. You can see that as our passage begins. Have a look at verses 10 to 13. While all of these plans to get rid of Jesus are are raging all around him, do you see what Jesus is doing? Very calmly, very deliberately making plans for this meal. It's amazing. All the detail that you see there in verses 10 to 13, there's a, a man with a water jar, there's a furnished room, it's all in place. Nothing is accidental here. He has planned everything. They're to follow his plans uh, to the letter and when they do, verse 13, they find everything just as he has said. God is in charge of what leads up to this meal. That's the first thing that makes this meal so unforgettable. Then the second thing is the occasion, isn't it? You see that in verses, verse 7. Then came the moment, then came the day of the unleavened bread, the feast of the Passover, Preparations that led up to this meal and uh, finally it comes. This meal that God's people would would, uh, celebrate together annually, a a meal when they celebrated God's past rescue of when he had mightily and graciously taken them out of Egypt, taken them out of slavery. Every year that they would celebrate this, that day has come again. All of Jesus' preparations focus on that day. Why this meal? Why the Passover? Why choose this moment of all moments to have this meal with his disciples? Well, let's take a step back for a moment and examine the nature of this occasion and see why it is so unforgettable. You see, the Passover meal, as it was celebrated by God's people, was often celebrated by families together. They would gather around a table and the head of the family would stand up and he would raise the cup and he would give thanks for the meal. And then the question would be asked of him, usually by the youngest member on the table who would ask this, why is this night different to any other night? Why is this night so different? 
And that would be the father's cue to explain once again the meaning of the Passover, that they were slaves in Egypt, that God saw their suffering and out of his sheer grace rescued them. But as Jesus leads this Passover, as he stands and raises the cup, he will say things not of a past rescue, not just of past moments like that, he will say things yet to come, a future rescue. You see, in the original Passover, the most significant moment, the climax of the whole meal was the sharing of the Passover lamb. This lamb that was, uh, was covered in, in bitter herbs, uh, beautifully roasted, ready to eat, to celebrate God's rescue year after year. In eating it, they were, would recall what had kept them safe that first night. It wasn't that they were blameless. It wasn't that they were more special than the Egyptians. All that kept them safe was the blood of this lamb covering their door. But this meal, enjoyed year after year, left a big question unresolved. How on earth can a small, fluffy lamb possibly deal with all my sin? How is that enough? Israel's firstborn, as I said, weren't spared because they were without sin. If they'd even taken a step outside the door that first Passover night, they too would have been destroyed by God's judgment. Why is the blood of a lamb enough? How can one small little lamb pay for all the things that I've ever done wrong, ever will do wrong? It doesn't add up. The answer is what is missing from the meal when Jesus celebrates it. If you look closely, all the the components are there. The bread is there. The wine is there. But where's the lamb? Where is the focal point of this celebration? Where is the Passover lamb? Well, here, if you look in verse 15, is what brings Jesus' delight in sharing this meal. Here is the moment that all history has been leading up to. The moment, if you like, that Jesus, the great waiter at this meal, pulls out the main dish and unveils the lamb and there's no lamb on the table because the lamb is with them at the table. It's right to ask the question, how can a lamb buy my forgiveness? Because it doesn't add up. Anyone who has had to forgive someone knows how very costly true forgiveness really is. If someone wrongs you, deeply wrongs you, and they ask for forgiveness, real forgiveness, as if nothing has happened, a relationship restored, not just let's forget about it and I'll have nothing to do with you, but real forgiveness, that costs, doesn't it? To absorb that cost in yourself, to take the decision to suffer for them, so the relationship can be restored. You cannot forgive without cost. And so this meal marks the occasion when the world will see clearly the cost of our forgiveness for betraying God. And it costs much more than a lamb. The currency of forgiveness is the nails and thorns and blood and tears and sweat and finally death of Jesus. See in this the second thing that makes this meal unforgettable, the unveiling of Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. We've seen what leads up to the meal, uh, we've seen the occasion, now we see who's there. Have a look at verse 15. Who's there? God is there, the Son, the one who has created everything, absolutely everything. And everything above us, everything below us, visible and invisible, uh, rank after rank after rank of angels, created it all, he made it all. 
It all finds its purpose in him. He holds the whole thing together, even now. He's there. How great is that? They're sharing a meal with that one. Except for this. We're there with him. Do you see the group that he invites to his party, this small group that I suspect represent all of us? A group of people uh, who are made up of those who, like us, are making plans to betray him, making plans to get rid of him, plans to have nothing to do with him. It's a remarkable dinner party. Imagine a meal uh, where you're the host and you, you start to put your invitation list together and you decide to surround yourselves with those who you know are opposed to you, your enemies. That is what Jesus has done. Judas is there. Wanting to be rid of Jesus, he's already planned it. He's at the meal. Peter is there. Imagine inviting someone to your party who you know within a few hours of being there will say this of you. I don't know him. As if I'd be with him. I have no idea what you're talking about. And then there's the others, the other disciples who aren't mentioned as the chapter goes on but in a few hours they will leave him for dead, literally. With friends like these, who needs enemies? Let me ask you, on your big occasions, your big celebrations, the birthdays, the weddings, etc., who do you invite? Uh, Who's on your guest list? I remember when we got married uh, back in 2000, it was quite a process coming up with the final guest list, all sorts of debates and discussions about uh, who would would, uh, be on the list. And I look back at those we invited back in 2000 and you know what, some of them probably wouldn't get invited now because it's not that they're my enemies, I just don't know them anymore. It would be a different list ten years on. But I can tell you this, uh, the list back then and the list now would not include those who mean me harm, those who are my enemies and I suspect nor would your list. Imagine doing what Jesus is doing here. You sit down to write that list and at the top of the list is the person who'd rather money than you. Don't send me the invitation, just send me some cash. The person who'll pretend you've never met. The people who will want nothing to do with you. Imagine doing that. Would you invite them? Why should you? Meals are for celebrating with friends, not enemies. Uh, But not so with Jesus. You see verse 15, I think one of the most remarkable verses in all of scripture. He sits down at the table with his enemies and he says this, I have eagerly desired to eat this meal with you before I suffer. Amazing. He sits down with his enemies and he is so excited to be with them. How good is this? Here we are, this meal, this has all been planned for you. I could not be more happy than to be here with you right now. He is overjoyed because here at last they will see the extent of God's love for his enemies. Here at last they will see God's sovereign, costly, sufficient, perfect, once and for all plan to forgive betrayers. Now I don't know about you when you're planning the big events or the big celebrations. There's lots of anticipation, isn't there? There's lots of excitement and then the moment comes and you're excited to see how people enjoy the party One can only imagine the delight that God the Father and the Son and the Spirit felt at this moment come round at last. All history has led up to this moment to see their plan unveiled, to see the reaction of those who represent all of us who the Lamb of God would be sacrificed for. It's wonderful, isn't it? 
You'd think he'd been planning it for some time and he has. And so with the preparations in place, we bring our sin, he brings his life. With the occasion just right, the night we celebrate God's rescue, with the guests gathering, sinners with their God, the meal begins, which is, of course, the final ingredient, isn't it, in the unforgettable meal, what you eat. You see there in verse 19, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying to them, this is my body given for you. As the bread is given, so his body will be given for you. Verse 19 I think is sacred ground for us as Christians. The very heart of our faith, two little words that make all the difference to your eternity for you. Jesus' body was broken for you as a sacrifice for sins. For each one of your sins, every single one, past, present and future, for you. Jesus substitutes his body for you as the mighty and holy and perfect and righteous judgement of God comes charging at us. He stands in the way of that judgement, taking the consequences of betrayal for you. And it's for you, literally. That's what he wins. That's God's prize. This is personal. This isn't some objective exchange between God and his Father to do away with sin. No, there's a very clear objective in mind. There's a very clear prize. You. You're his treasure. The creator of the ends of the earth who owns everything says, You are my prize. He has decided you are worth the cost of buying back for you. What a meal. Unforgettable. You sit down at his table as his enemy, deserving judgment, and you leave free from sin and free from judgment. And it gets even better. Do you see the other thing we eat, we drink? Verse 20. In the same way after supper he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Having a share in this meal is about having a share in God's, do you see it there, new covenant. His new deal with his enemies. What's his deal? It's the promise of new life. It's the promise that we can start again free from regret, free from guilt, free from the consequences of sin. No more judgement. But even more than that, not only are we free to go without guilt, we are free to stay with him at his table. This meal takes me from being an enemy to being forgiven, to being his friend, the sort of friend he longs to share a meal with. And here's the wonder of his new covenant. I too grow to long to share a meal with him. This new covenant, this promise that Jesus speaks of in verse 20 is an old, old promise of God's. A promise he made back in Jeremiah when he said, I will give them a new heart Those who share in this meal are given a heart that is no longer like Judas's, no longer desiring to trade Jesus in for a cheaper prize, but the longer his spirit dwells in us, the more we know he alone is our treasure. And so he lifts the cup and he says, this is my new deal. Will you take it? And here's how you can be sure that he will make good on the promises of that. He says, I sign it in my blood, poured out for you, 
Well, there's the meal we can't forget. The meal that will point to what Jesus is going to do just some hours later on the cross. Now, this meal itself is, of course, just a sign, but what a sign. A sign that says that there on that first Good Friday, Jesus' body and blood was given, and it was. And as it was, the Son cried out to heaven, all that we planned, all that we've hoped for, it is accomplished. And heaven calls back, it is enough. Let forgiveness come, let peace come, let new life come, let hope come, for worthy is the Lamb. Jesus knows we must not forget this meal and so he says in verse 19, do this in remembrance of me. That's why we share in this meal so often. That's why we'll do it again tonight in a few moments. We eat bread and drink wine to remember all of this. And so given that, as we prepare in a few moments to share that meal, let me suggest a few things that would be appropriate to do as we share in that meal together. Preparations to make for the meal. Firstly, repent. Remember who you are at the table. Come as a sinner. Be honest about that. Be ready to turn away from your sin as you come to the Lord's table, knowing he will forgive. Secondly, reconcile. This is a meal that declares God forgives. Even you. Even you. It's a meal that says you have no right to come here without forgiving or seeking forgiveness from others. Be reconciled. And thirdly, rejoice. Rejoice in all this meal points to. Rejoice as we proclaim the cross of Christ to one another around the table. Rejoice in forgiveness. Rejoice that no one can condemn you now. Rejoice in freedom, in your new life. And as you do, let let me challenge you to do something tonight. One of the things I've loved uh, since coming here is most often in in Anglican churches uh, the the communion rail is just one rail at the front And, and we're sitting there kneeling and you don't get to see anyone else. One of the joys of this place is that we are gathered all around. Let me encourage you to look up as you're taking communion. Look across, look around, see those who share that hope with you. See those for whom the for you of verse 19 and 20 is written. Fourthly, reflect. Let me say that when we come to share this meal together, it is not a time for idle chat. It is not a time for mobile phones. It is not a time for jokes or dinner plans. I say it often, I'll say it again. C.S. Lewis says, There is a kind of happiness that makes you serious. So take time here at the heart of your faith to be serious about him. Reflect on how blessed you really are. Reflect on how kind he is to you, how gloriously good he is. Fill your heart with that. Feed on him by faith. Feed on him so that he will be the treasure of your heart this week, not some cheaper prize. And finally this, realise what is yet to come. You see it there uh, sewn into our passage, verse 16 and 18. Jesus says it twice just in case we miss it. He says, even this meal, as unforgettable as it is, is but a pledge of a meal yet to come. The meal he will share with us in his heaven. You see this Passover that he celebrates that night with his disciples that is not finished. There is more yet to come from Luke 13 says, every tribe and tongue and nation. The for you of verse 19 to 20 is bigger than you can possibly imagine. 
And so as we share the bread and the wine as a church family, we are not just looking back to the cross, we are looking forward to that moment, the moment that he sits at that table waiting in eager expectation. Now let's pray together. people who will come from the east and west and north and south and will take their place at the feast in the kingdom of God. When he comes, our glorious king, all his ransomed home to bring, then again this song will sing, Alleluia, what a saviour. Amen.